1 Thessalonians. Actually, let me amend that. So our reading is pretty short today, so I'd love if we read Acts 17 first and then went to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you've got one of the Bibles there provided for you in the pew, uh, we're going to start on page 871 where we'll read about the beginning of this church in Thessalonica, and then we'll go to the letter and read the first chapter. If you're just visiting us today as a church family, we've been going through every letter of the New Testament, looking at how it begins and how it ends. And so we're in 1 Thessalonians today, looking at how it begins. But here's how the whole church began in Acts chapter 17, and we'll read the first uh, 10 verses. It says, now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason had received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And that's where we'll stop in Acts. So they'd only had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time before enough opposition arose that a mob was formed to take them before the authorities and accuse them of basically treason against the Roman Empire to say that there was a king worthy of their worship who was not in Rome and who was not Caesar and it was so serious that Paul and Silas then left in the darkness of night. This is now 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writing to this congregation after they've had to leave under such circumstances. Paul, Silvinus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That'll conclude our reading for this morning. This might be the earliest written letter in the New Testament. We don't find it at the beginning because that's not how our New Testament is structured, uh, but likely most of the Gospels telling the story of Jesus were written after Paul addressed this congregation with these words. And though it's one of the earliest letters that's written in the New Testament, uh, much of the theme of it is actually looking towards the future and anticipating the return of Jesus. And there was a sense of anticipation that as the apostles went around and told people about who Jesus was, and then as they followed after him and were baptized and then would gather together regularly to celebrate communion, part of even the communion celebration was looking back and remembering what Christ had done, but also doing that until he returns. And there was this excitement that the Christ who came would also come again and that the one that they were following would also be the one who would be returning. And so uh, as we again only look at how the letters begin and end, we commend to you reading them in their entirety uh, to see what each letter is distinctly about. But next week we'll go into a little bit more detail about the day of the Lord as Paul unpacks it. But he's encouraging the believers there with the good news of the return of Christ. So even though it's one of the earliest letters, it's about some of the, the goodness that's going to happen towards the end of our time here on earth. And so the first point that we see is one of the things that we do as we gather together in worship is that we are together waiting for his return. Uh, as I prayed, we, we encourage one another with the good news that our Savior who came is coming again. And that that good news shapes how we live our lives today. Uh, last evening, we just had an unusual view of the sunset. And uh, our two older boys were playing with something, and I just said, guys, guys, pause. You have to look at this. Like, lift your head up and look out and see this sunset. And with enough clouds in the sky, there were rays coming through the clouds and a variety of colors coming through. And I just said, look at the sunset. And Levi went to the window and he looked at it. And then he turned around and he said, is this what it's going to look like in the resurrection? Or is it going to be even better? Because that's pretty awesome. And I was like, oh, I was just telling you to look at the sunset. <laughs> but yes, every good and beautiful thing we see is just a glimpse of how great it will be when our king returns. And, and the glory of a sunset is just a glimpse of the glory that will be experienced when our Savior returns. And while some of that is unpacked later, what Paul actually highlights here, though, at the beginning is that event will actually 
have different reactions to it. For some, it will be a sense of anticipation of now the goodness that will last forever. But we also warn the world that if you are not ready for that day, and if you have not placed your trust in Jesus on that day, that that day of the Lord will not be for you a time of rejoicing. And so that he says at the end of the chapter we read that we, we wait for his return from heaven. He is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. And we have examples throughout the scripture of where there's this time of salvation and also condemnation at the same time. If you think back to the Exodus story, the very same waters that parted that invited the nation of Israel to walk through and then in making it through to celebrate that they had just made it through on dry ground, that same miracle that took place also gave Pharaoh and his army a false sense of security that they too could walk through. And so on their own volition, they entered into the water, but they didn't make it to the other side. Same miracle, God at work, but saving some and others condemned. Jesus at the end of his first sermon in the Sermon on the Mount said, there's coming a time for all of us when the rain is going to pour and the floods are going to rise. And if your house is built on a rock, it's going to last. But if you have been spending your life building your house on the sand, it's going to crumble. It's the same rain pouring down. It's the same flood waters rising. But it will be revealed whether or not we have been wisely building our house on the foundation of his words or foolishly rejecting them and therefore bearing the curse and the condemnation that comes from rejecting the provision that God has offered to us. And so we are waiting for his return and part of that is also warning people that there is judgment coming that as Christians, we believe nobody gets away with anything. There is so much that we wonder, why did this happen, and how can these injustices continue to go on, and so many things feel like they're cyclical and they repeat themselves, but as Christians, we believe that because he's going to return, ultimately, he will make everything right. And what seems delayed right now will be addressed not by us in our feeble understanding and limited perspective, but by the one who knows all things and who cannot be deceived by anyone. And whatever he does and whatever he decides will be just and true and right. And so we want to warn the world that that is coming. It might not seem like it in the moment, it might seem like we can get away with things. It might, in fact, seem like life is easier by taking the shortcuts and cheating on things and lying about things. But we announce to the world that we believe our Savior has not only risen, but that he is also returning. And when we look at the cross and the payment 
for our sins that Christ endured, that brings for Christians hope and comfort as we look to the future to say the wrath of God for our sins has been poured out on him. But if we reject him as the one who can bear that for us, then the language of Paul is to say that wrath is still coming. And there is nobody you've ever met who is strong enough to endure it. And if they had a moment of sober reflection, they would repent. And that's part of what we're announcing to the world as we wait for his return. There is a goodness and a glory to it. There will be rejoicing and celebrating. And there will also be grieving and shattering and crumbling. And much of that shattering and crumbling and grieving will be uh, ultimately our choices reaching their full conclusion. Uh, that it will be our own uh, demise, our own going the wrong way that brings about our end rather than God coming and necessarily adding a whole bunch more uh, in anger as much as in his punishment allowing our choices and our sinfulness to ultimately have its full effect. Uh, yesterday we were uh, about to go on a hike and I could just feel that something like was hurting in a unique way in the bottom of my foot. And it's kind of hard to examine things on your own foot. And where this was on my foot, I, I couldn't quite get a good eye on it. Um, but I could look and see that something was bloody. And so I asked Amy, I said, Amy, I'm sorry, but would you mind looking at the bottom of my foot? Like I'm feeling something that, I don't know if it's just a cut that I'm walking on or if there's like something in there that needs to come out. And so she looked at it and put hydrogen peroxide on it and tried her best and said, I don't see anything. It's definitely bleeding. You're definitely cut. But I said, okay, that's fine. Just put a Band-Aid on it. And then we went on a two-mile hike at Silver Creek Metro Park uh, with the kids and with some of our cousins, uh, their cousins who are here from South America. And then we got back home and I could just tell, like, no, some, there is something in there. And when something's in your foot, it doesn't matter how bagged it is, but now I am my problem right? Like my need to walk places is what's causing me pain every time I step because there's something in there. And so now attempt number two, it was, oh yeah, there's definitely something in there. Uh, one of our children had knocked over uh, one of their uh, bowls with cereal and it had broken. And now I had stepped on a piece of broken uh, ceramic and it was in my foot. And so it was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, here again, uh, that was not a continuing event where uh, somebody was continuing to be mean to me. That was, this now happened, and me just going about my activity was, this is going to keep on hurting unless something happens, and this is dealt with. And so thankfully, uh, she was able to remove it then, and I instantly felt better. But we inflict ourselves with all kinds of wounds, in our sinfulness. And that sin left untreated gets worse over time where we then bring upon ourselves greater and greater consequences for the things that we do and the choices that we make. And so 
Part of it is for all of us to come to our own awareness that we need to repent for our own behavior. We need to take even small things seriously where we don't want to just assume it's going to get better over time. Because, you know, sometimes you'll hear the phrase, you know, uh, that wounds heal over time. Uh, well, really, it's only clean wounds that heal over time. <laughs> wounds that aren't properly cleaned get worse over time. And so time alone does not fix anything. You could be prepared today to meet your Savior. You could have another 10 years to be prepared. The difference is not going to be whether you had more time. It will be when you take the time to take a serious assessment of who you are, where you're placing your own hope and trust, and who he is and where you stand before him. You don't need 10 more years that somehow that will uh, just happen. Whenever it happens, it will happen intentionally and purposefully. It'll happen humbly. Whenever you decide that you don't want to trust in yourself and your own resources, you don't want to just ignore things and pretend like they're really not that bad, but you believing that he really is returning and that you want to stand before him on that day with joy, with anticipation, with excitement for the resurrection and all that it means, that part of our time together in worship is to remind each other of that, to take that seriously. We don't know exactly when it will be. We don't know how exactly it will be, but we absolutely believe that the risen king is returning. And while we do that, we also remember things. We, we're waiting for his return, and we're also remembering his grace. The Apostle Paul said that uh, he was remembering in his prayers the believers in Thessalonica, that he was regularly lifting them up. If he had to leave under the darkness of night and they had to stay behind, imagine how hard that was. That's how volatile the situation had become that he and Silas had to flee. And though he could no longer be with them, he was remembering them in his prayers, lifting them up before God. And he was trusting that God was going to do everything that they needed for their journey. And he was also helping them remember all that God had already brought them through. So as, as we look forward and wait for his return, we also look back and remember the things that God has done. This is how he summed up Acts 17. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting verse. You, you wouldn't expect those two halves to be put together to form a whole. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. For us, if our joy comes basically from comfort, then that's where there's a dissonance and that doesn't come together. But if our joy is deeper than just simply our immediate pleasure or comfort, then it is possible to have joy even in the midst of much affliction. And so for this church, seeing its founders have to flee uh, because of persecution, there was much affliction. 
It wasn't easy to raise your hand and say, I think I want to join this group. You didn't become popular by joining this group. You didn't all of a sudden have greater access to economic opportunity if you joined this group. Like a mob had been formed to put pressure on ultimately ending this group. And yet these people did choose to follow Jesus. They took more seriously the return of the king than they did whatever the threats of the local government or the Caesar could do. And in that, there was grace that they had experienced as God brought them together to form this church that the apostle, though he had to leave, could still write back on and say, not only did you just survive, like that would be its own thing, but actually your reputation is spreading all throughout the world. People know about your faith and God's grace in your life and it's spreading because everything is going well? No, because in spite of the affliction, in spite of the opposition that's come your way, you have found ways to have joy and to love one another and to serve one another. And that's good news that's being passed on. So later when he says in chapter 5 and he encourages all of them, This is in uh, chapter 5, verse 15. He says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He is there in the closing, reminding them of basically what they had been earning a reputation for what they had become known throughout the region as a group of believers for, that they had this ability to not repay evil for evil, that they were seeking to do all the good that they can. And this was an evidence of God's grace in their life. And in remembering those things, you go to the next part of just celebrating ultimately God's work. In remembering God's grace in the life of these believers, there was now this celebrating of this work. And he commends them for three things, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a different order, but faith, hope, and love of 1 Corinthians 13 is here is faith, love, and hope. Uh, But he's commending them that as a group of people, this is what they're known for, this work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. How? It's all happening in the Lord Jesus, that they're finding this ability uh, to, to not just exist, but to flourish, to thrive, to grow, to care for one another, uh, and to see the evidence of their faith work itself out in beautiful fruit to one another. And so Paul is celebrating this. We are waiting for Christ's return We're remembering what he's already brought us through. And in that, we're celebrating what's been done. Uh, Another example in my life, not a painful thing uh, in my foot, this time in my hands. Uh, But over the last two years, uh, my my hands just started to deteriorate. And uh, at first I thought it was one finger that was acting a certain way and I just put lotion on it. And then I realized 
no, it's not just a finger, it's a hand. And then it wasn't just one hand, it was two hands. And I just basically developed really bad hand eczema. And uh, to the point that I finally went and saw a dermatologist and just showed her my hands. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but you're supposed to feel with your hands. But it's not pleasant to feel your hands constantly. And I just felt them constantly. Uh, and so she gave me a, a steroid cream to put on it, and it worked. I'd put a steroid cream on, and for a few days that would be good, and then basically they'd break apart again, and I'd have to put something else uh, or reapply the same steroid cream. And I'd asked, I said, is there any chance this is like an allergy that I have that I just don't know about and I should get tested for an allergy? And the response was no, that, that's not likely the case, because if it was, you'd probably have things uh, elsewhere that I didn't have, it was like all in my hands. And I thought it was maybe from sort of over-sanitizing in the pandemic or also having little children and using wet wipes all the time and changing diapers and stuff, like I just, and stress, like the accumulation of several things that I was like, that's probably what it is. Well then six months ago though, I pretty significantly changed how I eat. Um, and within a very short period of time, within about a week, my hands completely restored. And then after another week and another week, I realized I have not like reached out for a steroid cream for my hands now in like a month. And they feel fine. And it had gotten to the point where to do any kind of yard work or something, I had to put gloves on my hands to do them. And now, in, now part of it is I don't know, actually know what the most helpful thing was because I have eliminated multiple things from my diet. And so I don't know which one was ultimately the deciding factor but I saw in my body this restoration of my hands. And then I was thankful for that. Now this past week, uh, we moved into our new home. And it wasn't until after we had now spent a day and a half of moving and lifting things and carrying things constantly that I got to the very end of it. And I just rejoiced. I'm like, everything in my body like hurts right now and I need to go to bed. But my hands don't hurt. <laughs> I don't I don't feel them anymore. Like from the inside out, they've been restored in such a way that I can now do the things that I want to do with my hands. And I was thankful for that. Celebrating the goodness of that. The Apostle Paul here is commending the believers and saying, if you turn your life over to God and you allow him to do work in your heart from the inside out, now, not only will you just be restored in that your sins are forgiven, but you're going to be able to do so many of the things that you wished you could do before and you just struggled and struggled to do. And as you find the ability to do them, that's worth celebrating. That's worth rejoicing in. And so he commends them for their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope and like a loving father figure just encourages them to keep doing the good that they're doing and to trust that God knows it God's going to keep strengthening them and for however long we wait for his return we have plenty of things to keep us occupied in the meantime this is a broken and hurting world we need as many hands committed to the task as possible and we can celebrate that we're tired and we need breaks and we need rest, 
but we can keep on working. We can keep on laboring. And when we see other people doing good things, we can encourage one another with the good that we're seeing so that all of us together ultimately commit to this way of life, that we do not repay anyone evil for evil, but seek to do good to everyone and to trust in him because he is the one who rescued us from serving idols to the true and living God. And now that we've turned to him and are no longer worshiping these idols, he has all kinds of things for us to do that we believe will not only make a difference here and now, but will actually have ramifications forever. That's a motivating factor in our lives to get to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the good news of your return. But we are also humbled by the reality that the very same event that will bring final and full salvation will also bring judgment and condemnation. And so we do pray that if there's anyone hearing these words that is unsure of where they stand before you, unsure of what uh, the day of the Lord will mean for them, Father, we just pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, help them from the inside out come to trust in you, to not rely upon themselves, to not make excuses for anything, but just to trust that you have everything they need for life and for godliness, and that being right before you is worth more than anything else. And Father, as as we wait patiently for that day, we pray that you would remind us of the things you've already brought us through, the things that you've restored us from, and that you would also show us the things that because you still have us here, you have for us to do. Help us not to pass our days in constant grumbling and complaining, but to look for all the opportunities that you've given us to work with our hands. to to labor in love and to show the world the steadfastness of our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.